0: We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in McComb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. We are in a new series. We just closed out our I'm In series talking about those things that we say we're in when we do say I'm in with Jesus. We, we've been invited into a family. We've been invited to invest in that family through the gifts that god's given us we've been told throughout scripture that god defines our value we're invaluable by measure in this world and we are to, we're called to be inspiring even if we don't have the rah-rah demeanor we all have things that god has called us to inspire other people towards a relationship with him through and uh, so kind of in the intermediate before we get into the christmas season i'm gonna ask the question how many of you have put a christmas tree up already Yes, yes, yes. There you are, all you Thanksgiving skippers. Uh, I kept my hand up. I didn't put it up, but it is up. But listen, I love this this year. We got inspired by somebody else in in the house to get a smaller tree and put it on a table. So we've got a four-foot tree that, I'm going to tell on you for a minute, baby, that she put this bow on top of it, and like she put it on there yesterday, and I was looking over there. I said, you ever looked at those little bitty babies that mamas put those big, gigantic bows on their head? I said, I mean, I love the tree, but that's what that tree looks like now, because it's got this big old red bow on top of it that just looks out of place. Uh, so, I, I mean, I went there, we're not supposed to go there right now, but you're going there because you've already skipped Thanksgiving, and we'll forgive you for it. But, uh, so what we did was, is over the last week, we put uh, a social media post out there just saying, hey, it, it was kind of funny, we're going some places that maybe uh, you've never heard anybody teach on, or... You've been in a church before and they refuse to go there. And and I open myself up to go into some places that, to be very transparent, I don't want to go there either sometimes. Um, But the suggestions that you guys have given over the course of the week, uh, I I want to be able to deal with all those areas, and I think a lot of them tie in together. Uh, And the message today kind of opens up an opportunity. I love how God just kind of works things out, even when you think you're putting something out there. Uh, at random how God works things out and just kind of connects thoughts for you and so the subject matter that we're going to look at today is one that um, I'm just honestly it's just it's, it's a controversial subject matter um, when you talk about God predetermining something people get kind of upset about that um, but you can't avoid looking at scripture and seeing those types of terms come up without Without really grasping an understanding of what God's trying to say through His Word, now what I want to say before we get into this is I'm not going to I'm not here to theologically debate anybody on this subject. All I'm going to do is present the Scripture to you from the original Scripture. Not I mean I'm not going to put Greek up there because I know you won't be able to read it. But I'm going to present to you what God's original Word says and why Paul wrote the way that he did, why Jesus said some of the things that he did. Because of the audiences that were listening to him. I think we forget and start trying to do study. And listen, I'm a i am have a master's degree in theology. That's what my the study of God. Like I'm a master at studying God. It's not possible. <laughs> yeah. But but I, so I understand the, the ins and outs and my heart is not to give you my understanding of this. Because I'm gonna be very honest with you. I still wrestle with this regularly. And what I want you to grasp out of all of this, no matter what the debate may come out of it, the most important point that I want you to learn today is is that there is not a place in Scripture that is intended to separate us from God. And so if we come with an idea that whether it's our choice or God's choice with the idea that that somehow can separate us from His love, then we're missing the point. Because the point of all of it is to draw us to His love. So the scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning is actually found in Ephesians chapter 1. And that passage uh, is, is, is a letter, so you, you kind of need to understand that, that this letter is written in such a way that Paul is writing to a group of people, a church. This is not written to a world or to a worldview. This is written to the church. So when Paul writes this letter, he makes some statements in this letter that those people that are outside the church, in all honesty, would be kind of up in arms about. Because there's an inclusivity language to this. But you need to understand that all of the Bible is not written to the world. The Bible has been written to God's people. And so when the Bible is written to God's people, that's who it's intended for. So when he writes this letter, he gets very early, he does his greeting, and then in the, the third verse he says, "...blessed be the God..." to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And so there's a lot of wordiness in this passage. There's a lot of words that people get hung up on. The word predestined comes up here. The word election comes up here. And if if you know anything about theology, there's debate and dividing point on this, whether or not you have absolutely anything to do with your salvation whatsoever. Now, here's, here's the, the number one question that, that I like to ask when we have discussions about this. And it's it's a simple question. Do you believe that you were the one that made a decision to accept Christ? Or do you believe that it was God's decision to accept you in Christ? Do you see the difference between the two questions? Do you believe that you just accepted Christ? Or do you believe that you were you were given the opportunity to accept Christ? You, you, just that one little wording can change the way that you perceive that question. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like, are you more comfortable with God being predisposed predisposing you to love him or that God was predisposed to love you? Like we can create an opportunity for God to love us. So it puts it back on squarely on our shoulders. So when Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, there's no that Paul's not thinking about the world at large. Paul's thinking about the church. God has set you apart. You have been set free because you have accepted Jesus Christ. So the question that arises from it is, and it arises in the church, was it my decision or was it not my decision? And the reason it arises more often in in our churches is because we're American. We don't like not thinking that we have the ability to make the decision. But if we're not careful... We can see droves of people that, quote, make decisions, but God has never drawn them to a place to make a decision. Now, it doesn't mean that God has predetermined that some people will not be saved. Now, that's where we go on the complete opposite side of this conversation. Because basically, if you're, if, if you're going more to a very uh, hyper-Calvinistic standpoint, that predestination means that God's already chosen from the beginning of time those who will and those who will not. And that, you start looking at that and you go, well, crap, how will I ever know? And I remind you what I said at the beginning is that the Word of God never intended for us to doubt whether or not God loves us or not. And that takes us to a place that we never, ever, ever know if God loves us because we stay in a place where we question it all the time. But then on the other side where you've got the, the free and open grace and it's only your decision... You, you see the dividing line there being that people can so easily walk away from a faith that they were never actually drawn into. And so there is a theological middle ground in all of it that Paul writes to the church. And so what, what, Paul, what Paul would ask us is, and I ask you the question, I'm not trying to answer it for you, I'm just telling you what Paul's written, is do you believe that it was your decision to accept Jesus, or do you believe that it was God's decision to accept you in Christ? how you answer that question will pretty much be the lens with which you read passages like this. Now I said I'm not here to try to tell you how to think. But I want you to understand that when we get back to the reality of the scriptures Paul also wrote about things dealing with predestination and, and God's predisposition and man's predisposition. And I'm just pointing scripture out. In First Corinthians he says the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So if, if the Word of God is what reveals God through the person of Jesus to us, then there has got to be a point where we have been spoken to. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God, is what Paul says. So there's nothing that we bring because it says that all of this, the Word of the cross, the gospel itself, is foolishness to people who are perishing. Well, who are perishing? Every person apart from Christ. And so Paul is... Paul is laying out a groundwork for the church in Corinth to understand. Without God's intervention, the word of the cross will always be folly to, to us. It will never make sense. And even to us in the faith, some of us sit back and go, God, why would you do this? Like, we're humbled that we've received something, but we still sit back and go, this is, I mean, this is, in my, my mental es- estimation, this is craziness. Why, God, would you do this? But Paul makes it very clear. Jesus even even said, because we like to. There's a sign that I used to make fun of all the time when we lived in Kentwood. It's between I think the Tangipahoa exit and the Kentwood exit. It says uh, something about want to know Jesus, read your Bible or something like that. I was like, stop telling people to do that because the Bible does reveal Christ. But Jesus was dealing with a group of Pharisees, and he told them in John five. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. So we're immediately telling people, let's go look at what the Bible says. And that's what they did constantly. They read the law and the prophets and they constantly look. He says, but you're missing the point because they bear witness to me. And I'm standing, Jesus telling them, I'm standing right in front of you. And you're refusing to come to me that you may have eternal life. But you also need to read what it says in this. Because Jesus says, I am revealing myself to you standing in front of you. You're, you're being made known of me. Your predisposition has not changed because you keep overlooking me trying to search the Scriptures for something. You can have eternal life by recognition of who Jesus says He is. Well, who is Jesus? In John 1.14, Jesus says that He's the Word. It says, John put it this way, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. And then the other part that that Paul writes to Timothy, he says this of Scripture. He says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here's what the Bible is for. The Bible teaches about, but the Holy Spirit makes the conviction about, about your need personally for who God is. Now, whether you fall on the side that it's just strictly God's choice, you have no say in it or not, or it's your choice and that all that other stuff doesn't matter, I'm just, I want to get you back re-centered because you need a good understanding on both sides. And so I'm not going to... Again, I'm not going to argue theological points but i want you to see what the priorities of scripture is and so we're going to deal with this but i want to deal with it in the right order because if we don't go in the right order then we'll just go to this debate and we'll keep having this debate and we'll argue over it and it you know it's fun to talk about amongst brothers and sisters i've had many men and women and people in my life that love theological debate i'm not a big fan of it but they love it, they, they love to talk about it, and I can have a conversation about it, and I can say, love you, brother, and walk out the door. But the end result is, if we're not pointing people to Christ, and people are not being set free by Christ, then we miss the point of it altogether. And so if that's not our heart in understanding what something like this says, then we have to readjust and, and reimagine what we're actually looking for when we talk about things like this. So the first priority of Scripture, it's twofold, but the first thing is is to point people to Jesus. I've already, I've already mentioned this. It's intended to point people to Jesus. The point of what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus is not for them to, to ever doubt their conversion. He doesn't write the language of predetermined predestination and election for them to, to think, man, I wonder if I'm actually in. And what most of us think when we have these conversations is, man, I wonder if I'm in. Like, did I make the cut? A- am I ever going to... And, and the problem with thinking like that is is that if you're, if we're really honest and we stay grounded in Scripture, none of us make the cut. That's, that's the point of Jesus coming in the first place because none of us can make the cut. We, we, we'll miss it all together. Because there's nothing in us that allows us. That's why the scriptures are there to help equip us, which is what he says in 2 Timothy, to equip us, to move us forward, to, to teach us, to show, to show our life to be profitable for other people to come to know Christ. Paul addresses it in the, in the first part of Ephesians 1, uh, 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He establishes a foundation. That's why he wrote the way that he wrote all the time. He establishes a foundation. It's not a foundation on your works. It's not a foundation on your gifts. We talk about gifts a lot. People like to know about spiritual gifts. The foundation is we're blessing God the Father because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity because a foundation has been laid. He says, Who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him and if you go back I've taught on this before but you go back to like passages in the Old Testament like Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 it says he has made everything beautiful in its time talking about seasons and talking about the inner man the humanity of who we are and the spirituality that's there it says he has put eternity into man's heart it says that it's been put there but you can't just find it out. Wait a minute, what? In other words, every human being is predisposed to search for something. We've been predisposed to search. We, You pursue things. You pursue wealth. You pursue family. You pursue relationships. You pursue jobs. You pursue, you pursue, you pursue. And in most everything that we pursue, what do we find? More need to continue to pursue. That's what that that empty right there is because the eternity that's been placed in every single man can only be filled by a relationship with christ through the prompting of the holy spirit he says that he's hidden it just far enough that it still can be unlocked but it's got to be a recognition it's got to be a place where where god calls paul paul said it in ephesians 1 1 you don't realize it if you're not paying attention he says paul And I'm going to identify myself an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He said, you don't have to worry about anything else because you've already recognized that through the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's been an awareness that you need Him. There's been an awareness that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. And the only way to obtain it, you've already done it. So church, if you're sitting in the room today and you deal with passages like this and you say, you have a question that comes to your heart, there's two things. Number one, you need to either let that go or you need to search the Scriptures and make sure, because I'm going to show you something in just a second, that we're always called to put our faith to the test. But Paul makes it clear just by writing his opening in the letter. It's by God's will that I am Apostle Of Jesus Christ. It's not something that I chose to do. It's not something I chose to become. God put something in me in eternity. Think about Paul's life. What was Paul before he was Paul? He was Saul. He was a a righteous zealot. Persecuting the church relentlessly. And when Christ came into his life. He was a righteous zealot. who Who was unstoppable in sharing the message of Jesus. It's the same thing. Sin's just not ruling it anymore. So it was always there; it was just distorted. And it's, he says that Christ made the change in that. And there's two defining moments that, depending on where you where you fall on the theological debate. But I love that Jesus puts it this way. In Matthew seven, he asks, he says to to his disciples, "Ask and it will be given to you; seek and you will find." knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be open. It's not possible for that to happen if God's not willing to open the door for everybody. Okay? He says, which one of you if his sons ask him for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And He's talking about the relationship status between you and I and Him that God sent in order to unlock this. Now you get to the end of the New Testament and there's a shift. And some people use this shift as a way to identify... But you've got to remember the audience and what we're talking about. In Revelation chapter 3, it says, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking back to His church. It's His church, though. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him. But there was first a time where we knocked trying to get into the relationship. And now Jesus says, I'm knocking to come back. Because it's time for me to get my church. So don't, don't get it mixed up because there is a, you see the two spectrums, but they come together in the center. And so if you notice what, what he says about the church and you notice what, what Jesus is doing and what he's saying and what he's speaking and what Paul's trying to encourage the church with, everything that he does points back to Jesus. That's where it starts. The second thing is, is that it always teaches the way of salvation. You can go back all the way to the Old Testament and see the way of salvation. The, the Romans road if you grew up in church, so to speak. You can you can walk through Romans in different passages and you can see where repentance is needed, that we're sinners in need of God's grace. You can see it when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. The slavery language in Exodus chapter 6 where he says, I, I will bring you out I'm going will, I will set you free. I'm going to get all of that stuff out of you. I will be your God. You will be my people. It's salvation that's written in the Old Testament. The only thing missing is it's pointing to Jesus because it's not there yet. Go all the way back to Genesis when the serpent comes in and completely makes havoc and completely messes everything up. What's God's first words to the serpent? What's God's first words to the serpent? He says, I'm going to send one that you will strike on the heel." And He will crush your head. It's already being talked about from the beginning of time. There's always going to be an opportunity for salvation to take place. Everything in the Old Testament points forward. Everything in the Gospels point to. And everything in the letters point back. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus because it's always been about the salvation of humanity. And so I go back to that question, do you believe that it was your decision to accept or do you believe that it was God's decision to accept you in Christ? Like all the scriptures pointing us in a direction and here's what I'm going to say to you. You've got to decide which direction the scriptures are pointing us. Do you believe that God made you predisposed to love Him or did you make God predisposed to love you? You start thinking about it in terms like that, you're like, well, obviously, I believe God already loved me because He's already sent Jesus. So we get hung up on things because we've, we've read what some pastor or theology major may have said on a term. One word that only appears five times in all of the, all of the Bible. And it, it ends up taking us to places that we get worried and nervous and scared that did I miss something? And it's not what God's word was intended to do. And when Paul writes, I, I want to go back to that passage in, in Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, he says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. If you've received Christ, he's already talking to you. He's telling you. Like this is, I'm reminding you. Because if you know anything about the churches, they were still some messed up people. Like we read some of the things and the sexual immorality and the drunkenness and orgies and all the stuff that comes up. We think they're talking to the world. It was in the church. So when Paul writes all this stuff, he's not telling the church to stay away from the world. He's saying, y'all got to get this stuff figured out. Because this stuff can't be how we're defined anymore. Because even at the church in Ephesus, because of the deities that surrounded them, this is kind of going off a little bit. Part of, I talked about this, I think, last week. Part of their worship was actually sexual in nature. We would look at that and say, well, "That's nuts!" But this is the first church. These are the first. Ter- it, these are the first churches that Paul wrote to, that Paul planted. And think about some of the the junk we were talking this morning about some of the stuff that people that we deal with here. It's like all of it's just opinion and like nobody's nobody's sleeping with anybody else while we're trying to sing worship songs. I mean, thank God. Like we got that part figured out. We, you know, we got that part figured out. We're not dealing with that junk anymore. But at the same time, you're dealing with stuff and if we... If we believe that God created us on purpose and that every human being has had something planted in them, the result of the whole thing is, is whether or not we will ever recognize it or not. We've been predisposed towards Him because He's already been predisposed towards us. Some people just never get it. That's why like you can you can justify not evangelizing. If you don't know what I mean by that, never sharing the gospel with anybody. Which is what the far side of this will do well it doesn't matter because God's already determined it somebody else will do it well what if God determined that you're supposed to be the one that does it so you can still have these arguments all you want to but it never gives us a right to ever point people away from Christ when we have the opportunity to point them to him so no matter where you fall on the side of an argument that comes up theologically you've been created on purpose with purpose and you are needed to unlock eternity in somebody because God has saved you, redeemed you, has given you authority to share the gospel in season and out of season, as the scriptures tell us, and we're commissioned to do it. If He, if he didn't commission us to do it, then we don't have to do it. But He commissioned us to do it. He, he put us in the game to play, not sit in the stands and yell at the coaches because our team can't do things the right way. We've been called to get in the game and to do With this, And it's not just so that we can sit in the church and we can argue whether or not God chooses or we choose. You go back into where God has placed this in eternity and and Paul writes in Romans, if you just pull it out by itself, he writes to the church in Romans, he says, "...we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose." For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He glorified. Now here's the question. You start reading all that, and it goes back and you you get stuck in that same thing. Who did He foreknow? He foreknew everybody. You can't say that just because somebody's not a believer currently that God didn't know them before they were born. You know what we can do? Then we can justify abortion. We can justify just about anything. We can argue against origins. I kind of talked about this the other day, talking about the the battle that we face. Paul wrote it actually in Ephesians, the very the very book that we're looking at. He says our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the powers and the principalities and the authorities of this age. The word rulers. Is origins. It's not rulers like we're fighting the president or we're fighting the king or whatever. It's an origin. And everything the enemy's trying to do is to take away from the original narrative. He's trying to change where creation started. Is it creation by God or is it evolution? He's trying to change where a baby is a baby and where it's human. Why? So that we can justify anything in our own way. Scripture is to point to Jesus and show people salvation. We don't use it for any other reason. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. We don't use it for any other reason. We can be encouraged by scriptures, but the whole narrative is to point people to Jesus because if you don't, then all you're doing is you're giving people a small glimpse of hope and pulling it away from them. Because if there's no eternal hope, then there's absolutely no hope at all. And if we miss that, we start looking at things like this and we realize that maybe, maybe, maybe I do control this. And if I control this, then I can manipulate God. What does that make me? It makes me God. If He foreknew everyone, then He singled out every person, created every person, placed eternity in every person, gave them the ability to do what they do, gave them the ability to be who they are, gave them the ability to for you to be you. To be in the situations and the circumstances that you you are in, and we are okay everywhere in Scripture with the word God foreknew and God chose. Until it comes to me, that's the ultimate question. It's not a, it's not a matter of did he did he know beforehand or did he not? It's just about me personally. It concerns me personally. I worry about this personally. I want to know personally. Like it's not that I'm worried about the person next to me. I may justify now because Michael just said something about it. Yeah, I am kind of worried about them. But we're we're concerned about it for ourselves. We we concern ourselves with it, and and, and you can't escape it. I mean, Jesus in John 15 is recorded. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you. There wasn't a single instance in the Gospels where the disciples came to Jesus and said, "Put me to work." jesus went to every one of them and he didn't have to share this whole big narrative he just said follow me and they were compelled to follow him and for many of you you've had a moment in your timeline where you were compelled to follow jesus i was told i was crazy because i was 13 years old and i'll tell you what happened there was It was some Jewish guy. I don't even remember who he was. I don't remember nothing the dude said that night except for the altar call portion of this service where he starts talking about needing to repent. And I'm sitting in this Southern Baptist church. At the time, it wasn't the nice building that is now. It was still a little bit old sanctuary. Had them swinging back doors. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever been in one. And I'm sitting up there with my buddies and everything on like the third row because that's what all the students do. You know, we all sit together. We cool like that. And so we're sitting up there and he's going through this process and the back door is flung open and there was like this rush of wind. And I raised up and looked back and the doors were closed. And all I, said, all I heard him say was that repent, you need, you're a sinner in need of God's grace. And I didn't get up. I was like lifted up. Before I knew it, I was pushing people out of the way. I was like, my mom looked over at me. She was like, what is he doing? I walked down, didn't even know what to say to my pastor. I was like, I don't know what just happened, but I I need I need Jesus. I know that right now. And they tried to they tried to tell you, oh, it's not all that other stuff is that, that didn't happen. Oh, bull! I hadn't studied theology, but I know at 13 years old what just took place. God pushed me here, telling me that I needed Him. And, and I'm not saying that you've got to have that physical moment but you've got to have a moment where there's a recognition in you that you need Jesus it's not just like you know I'm getting old I may need to accept Christ and there's a lot of there's a lot of justification that people give for that there's a lot of ways that people give for that but there is a way that's written in scripture of salvation and it's laid out throughout the New Testament it's Romans 3 It says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. There's a new way. Not just reading about God's law and realizing that we can't fulfill it. There's a new way that's been manifested. And it says, Although the law and prophets bear witness to it. That's what the scriptures do. They bear witness to Jesus. The law and prophets do that. He says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction we know this passage very well in, in, in chapter 3 verse 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus humanity all of us are in a sinful state in need of a holy God and we can't stand in front of Him without a recognition of who Jesus is as revealed, as revealed according to this through the scriptures and made manifest through the Spirit working in and through us and then he he says right before that, because the argument comes up, he says, "What then are we Jews any better off? We we memorize the law, we know the word, we know it very well, we are we're very versed in all of it." He says, "No, for for all we have already charged all Jews and Greeks are under sin." He says, "None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside." Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of Asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's quoting the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets. But... This is what we get to when we talk about terms like this, and this is what I want to close with this morning. You've got to stop thinking of, in in, in these terms, if God chooses, how do I know I'm saved? And start thinking, because God knows, I'm sure I'm secure. There's a vast difference between, because if we put it all on our own laps, only on our own laps, remember, there's two very distinct differentials here. If we put it all on our own laps, and we do it based on how we feel, some of us don't feel like doing much of anything some days, much less following Jesus in our own power and our own strength. So there's got to be a point where the Spirit of God says, I've chosen you. you, You may give you my personal belief. God's chosen everybody to have a relationship with Him. But not everybody will. Right down the middle. And so when you see terms like this, it's for us to start thinking in terms of, you know what, because my God is sovereign over all, because my God does know, I know that I'm secure. I know that I can trust my God even when I can't trust how I'm feeling about something. Even when I do look and the enemy whispers in my ear and says, hey, you may not be predestined. You may not be elected. You may not have what you think you have. I can remind myself, God knows and I know that I'm secure. And and I I, I said this earlier, but I'll remind you. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he says he says examine yourselves in Second Corinthians thirteen to see whether you are in the faith. So he says, when you have those doubts, it's not I'm not placing the doubt there for you, but it's natural for you to doubt because things happen in life that you don't think that God loves you very much. I can attest to that. There's been things that have gone on in life that I question. God, do you really love me? I mean, look what we just went through. And and Paul, and Paul wrote and he said, test yourselves. Don't put this on everybody else. Put it on yourself. Do you not realize this about yourselves? That that Jesus Christ is in you. That the very Spirit of God. He says, unless you indeed, and in, indeed you fail to meet the test. And then a lot of people, and I, I've I think I've had somebody that taught on this one time and they pointed the scripture out and then they never told us what the test was. And I was like, how do I do that? And so the more I started to look, even Peter wrote about it in 2 Peter. He says, Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what's the test? Well, Paul tells them right after he talks about this predetermination that God's made in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. He says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, right then you were sealed, sealed, complete, putting the stamp of approval that the letter's not going to be open until God opens the book at the end of all time. And it says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. You know because of what you've already received. You know you heard the Word. You know clearly. You can mark that moment. You may not remember the day or the time, but you remember where you were. You remember what was going on. You remember all of that stuff. You you remember. You have a clear understanding. And Paul's telling the church that there's going to be times where you're going to question. There's going to be times where you're not sure. But here, put yourself to the test. Remember the word of truth that you received. Remember the gospel of your salvation. Remember your story because God put your story there. And then Peter follows up right after he says what he says. He says, for this very reason, knowing that you're elect, knowing that you're, you're, you're in, he says, now supplement your faith. You want to, You want to put your faith to the test? Start seeing if you've got virtue in you. Start seeing if your knowledge has grown any. These are not gifts that God gives, these are, these are things that increase as we grow more faithful in Him. Virtue, knowledge, self control. Still struggling with self control? It's not so that you'll doubt your salvation, it's so that you can see you know what? I've seen where I've, I've worked out virtue, and I've seen where God's growing me in knowledge. But I really need to work on this. And he says self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Don't love people very much in the church. We need to get that fixed. And it's clearly Peter writing and telling us, and Paul affirms it in his letters, that these are things that we work on. Sometimes I'm hard to love. And some of you have to do it anyway. And sometimes, you're hard to love. Amen. But we have we, we do it anyway. Amen. It's not always out of a place where brotherly affection and love come because we feel like doing it. It comes because there's a truth attached to it that this is me working out, staying grounded and rooted in my faith. And, and it goes on, He said, If these qualities are yours and are increasing... Meaning you're seeing new measures all the time. Things are changing in you all the time. Not people around you, you. Even though the circumstances suck sometimes, even though people aren't great all the time, you see the changes in yourself. If the qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, if we're not careful, we can have conversations about some of these different theological topics. And we put it to the test. Is it even fruitful? Now, in knowing in this series about some things that we don't want to go there in the church a lot is the reason why I know God wants us to do it. Because there's questions that we have. And then there's doubts that arise from our questions. And when we have doubts that arise, we've got to be able to put it back in the lens of why God has done what God's done why God chose to do what He's chose to do and why we have chose to do what we've chose to do. So make sure that when you, put, when you put yourself on trial that you're putting yourself on trial before God and not your opinion. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at radiancemacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.